Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. It is great to be together, great to be able to worship together. Before we dive into the message today, I want to take just a minute uh, and pray. We want to continue to pray for uh, the conflict that's going on in Ukraine, pray for the people there, and uh, update you as well that uh, we made a donation to two different organizations. Uh, We we give $20,000 to Samaritan's uh, Purse because they were setting up field hospitals right on the border there as we researched different organizations their ability to mobilize, their ability to help right on the front line. We felt like that was a great place to, to plug in and invest with it. We also gave $10,000 to a, a Christian organization, Hope International, for workers, people in the Ukraine. And so as part of it is to help get them out of the country as well. We're continuing to monitor and look for ways to plug in. Some of you have asked around that. Uh, as we've asked around different organizations, I can say Samaritan's Purse I think does as quick and as effective a job of helping people right on the front line. So it'd be an organization that we would say you could give to. And as we have other direct line contact, we'll let you know. But uh, appreciate your prayers, appreciate the generosity of the church that we're able to make gifts like this. Uh, And we wanna continue to use the resources God's given us here to be a part of helping there. One of the greatest ways we can help, and, and I don't say this lightly, is to pray. And I would hope you're praying every day. I would hope when you see the news reel come across, instead of just being horrified or just going, oh, that's so horrible to see, stop and pray in that moment. Pray for the people you're seeing. Pray for the people there. Pray that God would move in this as only he can. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We do pray today for the people of Ukraine. We pray for the conflict there. We pray for just the battles that are being waged even now. We pray for this horrible loss of human life and the tragedy of this. Lord, there's so much we don't understand, but we know that when we see war on this scale, when we see life lost, this is evidence of our fallen world and sinfulness. And so we turn to you. Lord, I pray there would be a resolution of peace I pray that that life would be spared. I pray that you would move in the hearts of world leaders. We pray for our president. We pray you'd give him wisdom and knowing how to interact in the best way. We pray for the leaders across Europe. We pray for President Zelensky as he leads his people. We pray for President Putin. We pray that you would move in his heart to stop this. Lord, we pray for the people of Russia, the believers there, We pray for people who have just been displaced and they're separated from family. We pray for those who are grieving and lost today. Lord, we don't know how to redeem these kind of situations, but you do. And so that's why we turn to you and we lay this at your feet and we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, we want to finish out our series today, and we really are finishing it out, okay? I promise you. I know I've stretched it out a few weeks with it, but we're going to finish out today and, and answer some of the questions. Continue to answer the questions that you've had around sex, sexuality, homosexuality, uh, transgender, and I've, I've had to consolidate some of the questions in categories, and we'll, we'll try to cover as much ground as we can in that. Um, I, I would encourage you, if you're visiting today, if this is your first week, this is one of those series you want to go back and see the biblical foundations that we laid out on the different weeks, because that really informs the answers. It's one thing just to jump to answers to questions. I think it's much more important that we actually have a biblical foundation that we're working off of in it. Uh, as we get into this today, uh, I'll just say to you again, those of you who are here, there's parts of this as, as we talk about these issues that it makes us uncomfortable. So there'll probably be a point today you're uncomfortable with the conversation, but that's okay. Comfort is very overrated. It really is. And, and I just say that because I think we've gotten to the place that things that make us uncomfortable, we're not talking about at all. And we have to talk about it. 
Another thing I would say today, especially today, as we start getting into the finer points of some of this discussion, you may disagree in places, and that's okay. That's okay. Our unity is built around Christ, not because we all see life exactly the same way. That's part of being in the church. And, and all I would ask is the places where you disagree, just you ask yourself, why do I disagree? Am I disagreeing because I don't like how it feels, or am I disagreeing because I think there's a different way to interpret truth? And so I just ask you to continue to wrestle in yourself of why you come to this. Uh, especially on the issues today, this, this, these topics are hard because up to this point, we've been building a biblical foundation for a sexual ethic that we believe as a church, the Bible teaches very clearly that sex is only between a man and a woman in marriage. The Bible teaches that. Now, several of the resources and, and teachers and experts that I, I'm reading, they would all agree with what I just said, but then the application of that can get difficult and there's places of disagreement in that. Let me jump in and we'll see what I'm talking about with it. So let's go back as Christians, how do we navigate the, the issues of daily life? And, and here's a few of the questions. Do I use pronouns for someone who transitions? Should I attend a gay wedding? Should I allow a gay couple to stay in my home overnight? Uh, another question, should I allow my child to spend the night with one of their best friends at school if it's a same-sex parenting situation uh, in it? Now, before we dive just into the questions, through all of this, we want to allow the Bible to train our thinking. And, and specifically, I want us to, to be thinking about it. How do we approach any gray areas? How do we approach gray areas? Let me be clear again. I'm not saying that the decision to engage in sex outside of marriage in any form is a gray area. That's a pretty black and white area. But how do we navigate this as those people who believe that biblical ethic? And if you look in your notes and just for a moment, this is a grid you can apply to other things as well. It's not just these issues. I mean, we have issues in culture that we go, am I allowed to do that or not? Well, the first thing you always wanna ask yourself, is the Bible clear on this issue? Has the Bible explicitly stated what I should do on this issue? Wherever the Bible is clear, you're clear. You don't have to debate it, it's not a gray area. It's a black and white area. But as you come to it, you go, okay, I don't see those verses on pronouns. I don't know the uses and I'm seeing Christians say different things. So then the next level is, where is my conscience on this before God? Where's my conscience on this before God? We're gonna get into this in the book of Romans because Paul takes a little bit of time to really unpack these issues. How do you do this as a church? One of the things they were wrestling with in the church in Rome was over whether you could eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And so there's big debate in the church that some people said, man, if, if meat has ever been sacrificed to idols, if you eat that, you're endorsing idolatry. There's no way around it. Others said, well, I don't believe in those idols. I just purchased the meat. I have the meat. I'm not worshiping an idol. I'm just eating meat. And so the question came to Paul, which is it, Paul? Just give us the answer. And Paul says, well, let's step back. And again, we'll walk through this in Romans because I think we don't handle these issues really well. That's why we want scripture to inform it. One of the things though that he brought out in that study is he, he says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is in unclean in and of itself. And so when he talks about his own life, he says, I'm free to eat the meat. I don't think the meat is unclean in itself. I'm not endorsing idolatry when I do that. But then he adds this line, he says, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So if you before God, if eating that, especially if you'd come out of idolatry and you go to eat that meat and you're sitting there going, man, this is just wrong. He goes, well, then it is wrong for you. And we don't like this. We, we want God to kind of just give us the hundred rules and just tell us what you can do and can't do. Isn't it funny for all our railing against, we don't wanna live under the law, we really do wanna live under the law. Because it makes it so simple. And part of the uniqueness of the New Testament, part of the uniqueness of the new covenant, remember the old covenant God did, he, he spelled out, he said, this is what it means to be my people. Here, here are the key laws, the black and white things. And then he applied it down to really specific ways in that time for that people. 
the new covenant, he said, I'm doing something different. Instead of writing that out on tablets, I'm going to write it on the human heart. You're actually going to have the Holy Spirit within you. So you look to him and you listen to him. Now, the specific things that are black and white, he has written them out. They're all through the New Testament. There's specific things, especially on this area of sexuality. We've been going through it. God's really clear that sex is between a man and woman in marriage. That part is specific. But the application now in these places of where, where do I engage, how do I stand, your conscience may be different before God that you really feel like, I can't do that. Where someone else is, is pursuing and they're listening to the Holy Spirit and they go, well, I'm approaching this differently. As I say that, it, it, here's, here's how we, we have to do this balance. How do I live out my faith while showing love in order to be a light for Christ? So on one half of the equation, and you're always going to feel the tension between these two poles, by the way. How do I live out the truth of my faith? How do I live this in an unwavering way that I, I don't want to be inconsistent with it? I don't want to move with the world when the world moves. This is the truth and I've built my life on it. How do I live that out? While at the same time, evangelistically, man, I want to reach people who are far from God. And I want to connect with them. And, and I, I want to have a relationship in their life so that they can know Christ. And, and the reality in the church and probably in this room, one of two of those drives you more than the other. And I've just seen this as a pastor. I see this in churches. That, that some churches, man, they are great at standing for the truth and standing for the faith. And they proclaim it loudly and boldly and clearly. And they don't mind who they offend in it. And there's a place for that. Others, man, they are so evangelistically driven. They're just thinking about reaching people for Christ all the time and they love people and they're connected out in the world and they're connected in that way and they're driven by that to the point that they go, oh man, it's hard for me to stand on that pole. And, and I would just say as Christians, we live in that tension of how do I do both of these well? Man, how do I, I, I don't wanna be a person that un, is, is wavering on the truth, but in the same way, how do I reach people for Christ in it? I think the person who handled it the best, other than Jesus, obviously, is the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was driven on both of these things. And so as you read through his writings, it's so helpful. I love how he puts it in 1 Corinthians. He says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So, so he said, when I'm interacting with people that they haven't grown up with the Jewish law and they don't keep these rules and they eat meat because that's not a problem for them, man, I can connect with him on that. No, he says, notice he says, I'm not outside the law of God. That's his way of saying, I don't connect with them to the point that I stop listening to what the New Testament says, that I change my moral stand in that. But if it's a cultural thing, man, I'll try to reach them in any way. That I might win those to the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, but I, that by all means, I might save some. He's saying, I'm constantly flexing my comfort for the sake of who I'm reaching. But notice why. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. And this is one of the keys if you want to check your own heart. The reason Paul would always flex, I'm always flexing for the gospel, for them to come to Christ. I'm not flexing because I want to be popular. I'm not flexing because the culture has changed. I'm not flexing because, well, I don't know what they're going to think about me. Paul didn't worry about that stuff. But he did always look at himself and go, okay, is there a way that I can use this to reach them for Christ? So you reach them for the gospel. Is there a way, and is this an issue that I could move on for that sake? Now, even doing that, even with that mentality, and you need to hear me, even if you do things perfectly, and I think we live under this illusion, if I say it just the right way, and if I'm loving the right way, they won't be offended. Guys, the gospel is offensive in places. And especially if you've entrenched your life in a sinful pattern against God, then you don't want anybody saying truth. And so even Paul, who's willing to stretch in every way possible, look what he has to say to Timothy later in life. He says, hey, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of Jesus or of me. And then he's talking to his mentor, a, a fellow pastor. He says, hey, don't be ashamed of me. 
I know I say things, I know I stand strong, I know I stand in a way that a lot of people, they've pulled back from me and they don't like it. And so I'm asking you to, to stand with me in this and suffer for the gospel by the power of God. And you go, well, well Tim, you're supposed to give me a quick answer here. And you're, you're putting me in this place where I'm having to live in tension between, man, how do I stand for the gospel and the truth and how do I reach people for Christ? And, and part of that's by design. Part of the new covenant is, and, and we don't teach this enough, when he said, I gave you the Holy Spirit, that he's writing the law on the heart, God is more concerned that you have a dependence on the Holy Spirit in these decisions than anything else. Now, it's based on a dependence on his word. So you know what his word's saying. And you go, man, I'm always gonna follow that. And now when I move into these gray areas, I move in this tension place that I go, okay, Holy Spirit, you lead me. Because you've got a divine curriculum for me. And there may be specific issues that I'm facing here that other people aren't facing out of that. I, my goal as a church, man, I, I want you to be led by him instead of led by Tim. Now, I don't abdicate the leadership role. I'm, I'm called to speak leadership role into your life, but I'll never be the Holy Spirit in your life. And if through this process, we learn to depend on him that much more, that every time we come to one of these issues, we go, man, this is so hard, God. What are you calling me to do? And then you, you dive back in his word and go, have you been really clear? Oh, you're clear here. Okay, I know what to do. Oh, it's still not clear here. And then you, you talk to other believers, you go, man, would you help me discern what I think God's calling here? And then you, you live in that place of dependence on him. You go, man, Tim, that, that's much harder than you just giving me a bunch of answers. And yet that's the reality. Boy, if we could grow through that, the power of that in our life with it. Now, that said, I'm not dodging questions. Let's go back to the questions. I just want to give you a context for it. So do I use pronouns for someone who transitions? So if they're male and they've transitioned to female, they've declared these are my pronouns, she and her. Sometimes they and them if they see themselves as non-binary. And, and as you read through this, um, kind of two different voices of Christian experts who believe in a biblical Christian ethic. Let, let me make sure I'm clear. Everybody I'm talking about here would believe everything I've preached for the last four weeks. So these aren't people that are coming at it with a liberal mindset. These are Christians wrestling with it on the two sides of it. Let me give you kind of the two sides of that, uh, of those that are wrestling with that. Um, those who are against, who would say it's always wrong to use the pronoun of the new pronoun. It's always wrong with that. One, there's, there's a case, it would be lying. They're biologically male and I'm calling them female. And so there's, there's a deception with that. And so in their conscience, they go, man, I can't do that. The, the trans community, and, and this is one of the strongest things against it. it. It's not just pronouns. The trans community wants to reshape language because language shapes culture. And so as we see these events that are happening, when you see a swim meet and you, you, know, you see the guy standing on the stand in that and the, the frustration that comes out of that, all of that is culture shaping. And, and then so if, if you can reshape the language, then you can declare, because he, here's where it really becomes difficult for us. If I can reshape the language, then I can declare what is hate speech. That anybody that doesn't agree with that language is now hate speech. And so you're not many steps away and you see it with different bills in Canada and that, that you're not allowed to preach what I've been preaching the last four weeks because language has been reshaped in that way. That's why it is a serious issue as a culture. And so those who've taken a strong stand say, I can't do that. Many of them come because they're interacting with that. And so then it becomes hate speech to even stand for a biblical Christian ethic. I mean, we see it in our own community. Uh, we, we see it in our own church body. Uh, Rigo Lopez, who leads Fellowship of Christian Athletes. There's few people more loving and love kids more but one on, on one of the high school campuses, man, different people have come forward and said, they're a hate group. Now, is it because they said hateful speech at all? No, you're not gonna find anybody more loving 
It's because as leaders, they just said, hey, we hold to a biblical Christian ethic when it comes to sex. That's our belief system. And, and so you find yourself in the crosshairs without trying to take these steps at all. They find themselves there. And so those who, who speak out against using the new pronouns, this is really one of the core issues around it. Others have said as well with it, that if, if gender dysphoria really is, it used to be quantified and, and as a mental condition, am I not just confirming the delusion by using the pronouns? Am I not just making it worse with that? Let me go to the, the flip side. There's others who say, yeah, I use the pronouns as a sign of respect with the person. And, and again, uh, voices on this side of it, a guy like Preston Sprinkle, who I think is probably one of the best writers, teachers when it comes to this, but he, he's interacting with a lot of patients in this. And, and he said to him, hey, I've made it explicitly clear. I don't agree with their assessment of their biological sex, but as a sign of respect and relationship with this so that I can help them, I've used the pronouns in that. I, some have kind of moved to a place where they would say, I can use the name, but not the pronouns. If they've embraced a new name, then that's not really lying. A lot of people change their names for a lot of reasons. Uh, most of the Hollywood stars that you say their names, that's not their real names. And so we don't consider that lying every time I say it. In the same way, some have said, I, I can say their new name, but I, I will choose not to use their pronouns. You, you're gonna find Christians on all three of these in it. Uh, for me personally, I don't have a problem using their new name. I, I don't feel that's deceptive. I think that is a way of showing a sign of relational respect in that. Um, I am pronoun avoidant for the most part. And what that means is when the pronoun comes, I'll insert their name instead of the pronoun there. Even to the point that it might be awkward that well, like, you keep saying the name, why don't you say the pronoun? And then I would say very clearly, I'm doing that on purpose because I don't believe there's been a change in biological sex. I, I don't believe that. And so there's a clarity there of my belief, but I'm not looking for the ways to always pick at it in order just to make the point. Sprinkle made one point out of it. He said, you know, he has one of his patients, she goes to church, she loves the Lord, um, she struggles with gender dysphoria greatly. It triggers in a way. And, and one of the triggers for her is when someone says she and her about her. She doesn't know why, but that's a key trigger. And so she chose they, them as a way of just kind of avoiding it. Now she's not embraced uh, transgender. She's, not, she's, she's living in Christ. She's living out. She's battling this dysphoria. And so he looked at it, he goes, you know, when I take it to a personal scale, if there's something I can do to help guard her in her battle to live out what Christ has called her to do, that's an easy sacrifice for me in order to do that. And I look at that and it is, it kind of falls on two sides. Those who are really battling this out in the culture and it needs to because truth being redefined, usually are those who are taking harder stands on this. Those who are interacting with individual patients usually are willing to show flexibility because of the person out of that. And you are in different situations. Some of you, you're dealing with this in your immediate family. And so every day you're trying to build a bridge of relationship with them. Some of you are seeing this happen in schools and organizations and every day you're feeling that need, I've got to stand up for this truth and we've got to speak out for it. I'd say both are true in this. And so this is where I would just challenge you as you come back and you go, okay, what does scripture say? I think scripture clearly says that your biological sex is determined by God. So we're not wavering on that. But where is scripture calling you to interact and live in a case-by-case -case situation? Go to the second one, should I attend a gay wedding? So if I go to a gay wedding, is that endorsing homosexuality is endorsing gay marriage in particular. And again, on, on both sides of it, and here's some of the questions I think you just have to process through. Are they Christians? Are they Christians? And so am I holding them to a standard of Christ, what I would hold a Christian to when they don't even embrace Christianity at all? 
Uh, second question you would ask yourself, is this a civil ceremony or religious ceremony? Are they coming and saying this is a covenant before God and they're making that proclamation or are they just seeing this as a secular civil ceremony? In the same way that maybe somebody of a different religion, they're having a wedding that you would attend in it. I think you have to ask the motive of your heart. You gotta examine your heart. Um, is my reason for going or not going not to make waves? Or is it really motivated by the gospel? I think a key one, and, and I really look to Bruce Miller as a pastor who's done a lot of work in this area uh, in it and worked with a lot of families in this area. And, and Bruce said, you know, one of the key ones you've got to look at people, what is my level of relationship? And I think specifically you're a parent and it's a child. A child's inviting you to their wedding or a sibling with that. And, and examining by not going, am I gonna so sever this relationship that I've severed also this voice of truth in their life? And it has happened. It becomes the severing mark. And so some parents have made the decision, you know, I'm going to be there to support them. I'm not supporting this and I've made that clear to them, but I'm gonna be there because I, I believe God's placed me uniquely in their life to be this voice of truth and this bridge of truth. And I've made that decision because of that. Other parents, they've prayed before God and in their conscience, they go, you know, I just feel like even if I'm there at all, I'm endorsing it and I can't do it. And very painfully, they've chosen not to. Man, I grieve in both cases. I, I really do. And, and, and here, here's all I would just challenge. If, if you're walking through that, one, you need to talk to other parents who find themselves in that. Two, we need to extend some grace to each other. I, I'm tired of too often, it's real easy from afar, people would say, well, I would never. You don't know. You don't know until you're there. And you don't know what the Holy Spirit is walking them through in that. And so in that challenge for me, I would never officiate a wedding, a uh, same-sex wedding, because when I officiate a wedding, it's a covenant before God, so I can't do that in violation of his word. Um, I've not been invited to a gay wedding uh, in that. And so I've not crossed that bridge. If it was an unbeliever that I was building a relationship in Christ and they're not even seeing this as a religious ceremony, I may be more inclined and continued in that relationship. If it's a believer and they're seeing this as a wedding before God, I would be disinclined as a pastor because I feel like even as a pastor, I'm representing the mantle of this church and so I'd be disinclined that my attendance is promoting that. But that's a unique situation for me in that. And I, I give you that not as your guideline of what you're supposed to do, but I wanna be honest with you where I'm processing in these things as well. Uh, what about, should I allow a gay couple to stay in my house overnight? Well, here's a question, are you consistent? Would you allow a heterosexual couple to stay in your house overnight that's not married? And if you immediately went, well, that's different. No, it's not. Okay, it's based on the same issue. So no, no, it's not. So if you go, man, I've got a consistent standard in my household that, that we don't, then you, you hold to that standard out of it. Now, again, you, you've got to wrestle through where are they coming from? Do they even know Jesus? Where's the relationship with this? Is this the first thing that I'm pushing? Am I trying to change their sexuality before Jesus even changed their heart? That's, that's a key issue out of it. I think you also have to wrestle, I've got other kids in the house. What am I modeling for them? And all these decisions, if you've got kids, and I've seen this, where parents are not talking about it and it's kind of uncomfortable and we don't really like talking about what's going on with their uncle or aunt and we don't really engage it. Now with littlest kids, when they don't have the category, I get that, but you hit an age where if you don't engage it as a parent, if you don't sit down with them and go, hey, we've got to talk through this. Here's why we've made these choices that's different from the people we love. Now, we're loving them and, and maybe in those choices, this is why we did that. But I need to be really clear to you, we're not doing that as an endorsement of it because this is what God's called us to. Even at the point that we disagree with someone we really love. Here, here's why I challenge you, you have to have those conversations. 
There's kids growing up in Christian households and the parents don't talk about it at all. And they kind of engage because they're trying to reach out and the kids become adults and they go, well, you never said anything about it. I thought it was okay. I thought we just thought that was all right. Guys, as our culture moves more, we're living in exile. We don't agree with the culture. And our communication is going to have to increase that much more with our kids. Now, somebody asked, would you let your kid, and I think it was their seven-year-old, spend the night with a friend, and it was a same-sex parents out of that. We wouldn't have, and it wasn't so much, I would just say, out of same sex. It was just we were very hesitant to have our kids spend the night with people unless we were really close to them in a close relationship. We, we were slow to that. And people get offended by that, by the way. They, well, what are you saying about our household? And, and I'm just saying to them, I'm saying I'm not about to hand my kid over that you have complete control over them for the next 24 hours and I don't know you that well. Sorry, we just don't. And if you get offended in that, so be it. I'm not trying to be offensive. These are just standards that we set in that. And, and, and so, you know, there's this fear all the time of, man, if I'm protecting or I'm standing up for something, that offense, if I, if I offended at all, then I did it wrong. Guys, they're gonna get offended in ways. We still have to stand for what we're called to do and what we are called to protect in that. A number of other issues around this, I think you're, you're, you're seeing some of the principles behind it. Let me jump into a couple other key questions people had. What does the Bible say about pornography? What does the Bible say about pornography? Pornography falls under the prohibitions against sexual immorality and lust. Hear me, pornography is always wrong. It's always. You used to not have to say that. L let me just say explicitly, clearly, the Bible stands against it. And, and even, I mean, Jesus said, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. I say to everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Probably the clearest verse against it, Paul says, put to deeds, therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, wanting something that's not yours, which is idolatry. Pornography falls under every one of these terms. It's probably one of the most explicit forms of idolatry in our culture today. It's always wrong. And, and so if, if there's anything, because I'll see even Christian chat groups and they talk about, well, in the right context. No, it's always wrong. And top of that, I would just say to you, it's one of the most destructive forces in the world today. It literally is one of the most destructive forces in the world today. It is so widespread. It's so widespread through culture and it's so widespread through the evangelical church. So even as we dive into this, I know the uncomfort level kind of goes up because the struggle is real here. It's, it's, it's here, it's, it's inundated with us. It's coming at us every day. It's accessible in a way like never before. And it has the illusion that it remains anonymous. And, and it is so destructive. And when I say destructive, I'm not just talking morally. You know, this verse always strikes me. Paul says, run from sexual immorality, flee from it. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You're literally damaging your own body. And, and this proves true with pornography like few other categories. Um, it, it's interesting, I've got a friend of mine, he, he runs a treatment program, uh, specializes with young men, alcohol and drug addiction initially, they've added other forms of addiction out of it because he's done his doctoral work and his studies of the human brain with it. And it was just fascinating talking to him how, how all these things are linked. Pornography is a drug, it's just a drug. There's no other way around it. And it, it has the same impact on your brain as other drugs. They call it the Coolidge effect. That basically, when a person sees porn, that rush of dopamine, those pleasure neurochemicals that just rush the brain like drugs do. And so then the brain has to respond to it. One, because it's too much of a rush of those neurochemicals, the receptors, they shut down part of the receptors. And in the same way, you don't always get the same production from the exact same stimulus. 
And so in the same way that when someone starts doing a drug in order to get the same high, because the brain's trying to protect itself, they have to do stronger drugs to get that same high again. Same thing happens with porn. I mean, they've showed the studies of porn, the exact same patterns with that. And so that's why you see someone that they, they have to increase more and that it's not the same stimulus because the brain's trying to protect itself in the process you're, re, you're rewiring it. And the bad news is because you've tapped it and rushed it with the dopamine through porn, then in the regular parts of life, you have a dopamine withdrawal. And so you're down that much more. And life's that less pleasurable. And then the only way kind of to get that fix again is, well, I got to go back to my drug. And the cycle continues. Now, for some people, this leads, I mean, it's full-blown addiction. For, for a lot of people, maybe you look at it and you go, well, I'm not an addict. You know, I look at it from time to time, but come on, Tim, you're, you're kind of overstating. Well, let me ask you, if someone said to you, well, I'm not addicted to heroin, but, you know, about once a month, I like to take it. What would you say to him? You go, oh, okay, that's all right then. You go, no. There's a reason today that around 25% of the prescriptions for erectile dysfunction medicine is for men in their 20s. It's because the brain has been so rewired. And just, I just challenge you, look at the commercials now for ED medicine. It used to be a bunch of old people. Remember, there's always old people holding hands and that. Look at it now, it's all young people. Because it's a key market. Because it's damaged your own body. And, and, and the hard part is there's so much shame around it. Man, we don't know where to talk. We don't know how to get help. It's so destructive to a marriage. And I see this in counseling. The level of hurt and, and often the spouse who feels, man, was I not enough? The, the level, and, and here's what's hard because there's a, a hurt in the sexual area, but the hurt really even goes deeper in the deception. That you were lying to me, that you hid this from me in your isolation. And it's a double whammy. Now, I get asked, one of the questions that, that comes in, and it, it is pornography grounds for divorce. Um, and, and I would say the instance and the act of someone looking at pornography, I don't think it's crossed that line that Jesus is saying when he's talking about the breaking of one flesh where two bodies have been joined. But I think it opens the door. And here's what I mean. And I've seen couples that if a partner is not willing to deal with it, it becomes a form of abandonment. And so they've abandoned this marriage in it. They're not living out what Corinthians calls them to out of it. And so I, I address it more as a form of abandonment if they're not willing to deal with it. That can lead to divorce. Certainly can lead to separation for a time in that for them to take seriously this. And, and I don't say that lightly and divorce is not something I'd ever push lightly, but I've also seen spouses trapped for years and years and years of a spouse who's not changing at all and not dealing with it. And almost as a church, you hold over them well until they actually sleep with a person, you can't. And I go, no, we, we gotta jump in and deal with it. Now, now hear me, here's what you need to know. We got people all through this church that have had serious issues with it, serious issues in their marriage, thought they couldn't come back from it, addicted to it, and Jesus Christ has absolutely redeemed. He can redeem any marriage. He can redeem any, yeah, it, it, it's with that. So that would not be something you go too quickly out of it. But you need to know this. If you're addicted or even struggling, you're not gonna overcome it alone. I don't care how much you go home and tell yourself and you pray that much harder. Okay, Jesus, this is the last time. It, you're not gonna get out from under it. And scripture tells you this. This is one of those that says, brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. This word burden, it's talking about a load that is so big, so crushing, it would crush. It's like being under a boulder. You can't get out from under it. 
Porn is a burden. And if you're under it, I don't care how much you're praying and your intent in it, you need help. And, and you weren't designed to get out from under it alone. You need someone to come along and help bear that burden. And so I, I would just challenge you, if, if you're here today and you go, yeah, I'm struggling. If you're a guy here today and you're struggling, email Warrior Men. We have a phenomenal ministry here called Warrior Men. These are men, and, and it's all walks of life, all levels of dealing with it, some who found themselves in the depths of addiction and go, I don't think I could ever get out of it. And they have found healing and hope because they got with other men and they got honest about it and they're willing to do the work. Now, it's totally confidential. Uh, that's why you don't hear us talk about it a whole lot. We'll, we call people to that, but it's confidential. You don't know, I don't know in this church who's in it. And that's by design. We wanna respect that. And so if you're, you're here struggling anyway, I would encourage you as a guy, if you're a woman, Journey Women is designed for the wives of husbands who are in that. And so it's a support group. It's to talk to other wives and go, hey, how did you deal with this? We don't have a specific group that's helping women who are addicted to porn, but we're connected to churches are. Because this is a widespread issue for women as well. This isn't just a man thing. And so I'd encourage you, if you're a woman, reach out to Journey Woman and they can help you either get connected or if you're a man, reach out to Journey Men. You can see the email there. It's also on our website. And I'm excited that, that we've got a conference coming, Living in Sexual Purity. It's coming on May 21st. It's going to be on this campus. And you can see the seminars here. We're bringing in the experts on this. So, you know, how do you live in sexual integrity? Your brain. I hit it quickly. They'll go deeper there's a couple of doctors that will walk you through that. How do you develop intimacy in marriage, especially if you struggled in this? Forgiveness, trust, boundaries, healing, betrayal. This is one of those conferences that should be really well attended. And I would hope that we've developed a culture here that shame doesn't keep you from coming to get the help you need. Or a lot of us need to come, maybe you look at this and go, Tim, that's not really my issue. It is somebody around you. It is your sons. It, it is somebody in your small group. And, and so we would do well, all of us, <laughs> to come get equipped, regardless of where you are in that. Let me close out just a few things of how we approach this as a church. This is a summary of what we've been talking about. One, we are to actively look for ways to reach all people with the good news. I would hope that you're looking for ways in your neighborhood, in your coffee shop, your hairdresser, your person that services your car, all around you, we need to be looking actively. We've said we're a missional church here in the Bay Area. And so we're surrounded by a lot of people who are really far from God. And you know what? People who are far from God, they live like they're far from God. And we're the missionaries in their life. And so I would hope coming out of this, we're, we're that much more motivated. Who are we inviting to our dinner table? Who are we having a block party with so we can connect with that much more? Who are we willing to engage and treat them like people, not a project, like people that we love in Christ and allow God to use that gospel interaction to change their hearts. As a church, we can be welcoming to all people without affirming all lifestyles. Some churches have kind of decided they don't want to welcome or affirm. In order to stand for truth, they've said, we really don't want people of an alternate lifestyle coming here. Some have said it explicitly, some have said it maybe not explicitly, but it's felt. We've made the decision as a church because we're a missional church here in the Bay. Man, we welcome all people. If you're on your journey, maybe you're early in their journey. Maybe you're looking at this stuff and you go, that's crazy. I'm glad you're here. Maybe you look at this, you go, man, I absolutely stand against what you're teaching here. I'm still glad you're here. Now, we're not gonna change what we teach, but we wanna welcome people so they can be introduced to Christ. And so we will welcome all, but you just need to know if you come here, our stand to the best of our ability is always gonna be built on scripture. And where scripture cuts across your lifestyle, we'll speak to it. And where the Bible speaks, cuts across any of us. We're gonna to speak to it both forthrightly 
and clearly. And if that makes you uncomfortable or offended, I, I get that, but we're not changing on that because that's our standard. The third thing as a church, we live in the messiness of grace while speaking with the clarity of truth. When I'm talking about the messiness of grace, I'm not saying God is messy, but grace as it's played out in our lives, as we talked about these situations, it gets hard. And, and I say this specifically in how we treat each other. I mean, you, you may have a friend and you both agree on the Bible, but they're struggling because their son or daughter has come forward and said, hey, I'm gay. And they're trying to figure out how to interact with that. And you look at that and you go, well, I, I would not do it the way they're doing. You're not in their shoes. You're not the Holy Spirit in their life either. And, and so allowing each other to have some grace to each other. Now, there may be a place that you sit down because you are a voice in their life to go, hey, help, help me understand your decisions because this doesn't seem to match how I interpret scripture. I'm not saying we get silent with each other. That's not grace either. But we actually extend grace to each other as we're walking in the journey. We need a more robust theology and vision of singleness in the church. Guys, we can't call people to live a celibate lifestyle, to live a single lifestyle when we treat singleness like it's second rate lifestyle. Hear me, marriage is not the final merit badge of adulthood. So let's stop treating our singles that way. There's expressions of love. When Jesus talked about love, there's agape love, which is sacrificial love. There's phileo love, which is friendship love. Then there's erotic love that only a husband and wife share. Remember what Jesus said was the greatest form of love? He said the greatest love is when you lay down your life for a friend. He did not say the greatest love is when a man and woman fall in love and get married. It's a great gift. It's a great privilege, but it's not the only lifestyle that has been both modeled in the church and should be affirmed in the church. And if we don't get more robust about that, it's really hard to look at single adults and say, well, you can't have sex and you really can't have a relationship either and you can't have love, all the things we get to have in marriage. We need to that much more throw ourselves into how are we loving well? How are we relating well? How are we creating intimacy that doesn't have to be sexual intimacy with people who are longing to do life with people that love them? Final thing I just say, we have to create better support systems for individuals and their families. I'm getting the emails from you and and just, I've not, I've been collecting them. Some of you have sent me emails of this is the resource our church needs to do. This is what we need to teach. And they're all good. We can't do all of them. So I'm working with our family team. I go, okay, which one of these should we really employ? I I would say this is the end of this series. This is the beginning of this ministry. This has to be a fundamental ministry for our church. There's no way around it. And it's part of our family ministry. It's part of our parenting ministry. It's part of our single ministry. And so you just need to hear me. This has been a catalyst both in my life, but I think also in our church, that if we don't move into these areas aggressively, it's easy to do a sermon series on it. It's another thing to do ministry in that. I would encourage you, if you've not done so, even if you have questions, ideas, those of you who want to be a part of a support group, I've been gathering all your names. I was waiting until today. I want to get all the names and I'll be announcing in the next week or so, here, here's the meeting for all parents who want to be a part of a support group. Those of you that go, man, I'm struggling with these issues. I'd like some some confidential support group. We're looking at how to facilitate that. Those of you who've sent resources, as I said, I'm working. One of the first things we're going to do is while our students are having a Tuesday night, we're going to have a Tuesday night right in here with all the parents. We'll walk you through some of the resources, some of the things that are coming. We're planning for seminars and teaching that we can do on this. There's a lot of work to be done. And parents, you need to hear me. You're the front line on this. And so you're gonna have to step up in a new way. Now we can't call you to step up unless we equip you to step up. So our our commitment is to do that together. And and then always uh, the the care tab, you can reach out to us. There's a number of ministries that are there with this, but we're committed as a church. And I'll just end with this. This is the end of the series. This is the beginning of the real ministry. 
And so you just need to know at Venture, we are committed to walking together as people of grace with each other on it, but people who are willing to stand and speak the truth because the truth sets you free. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We do thank you for your truth. We thank you for how you have just redeemed every one of us. God, if we're, we're open and honest here, we are all so broken in different ways. Sometimes it shows up in our sex lives. Sometimes it shows up in our finances. For some of us, it shows up in the way we treat other people. For some, it's ambition or hoarding. <laughs> Lord, I could just go on and on because sin runs so deep in us. But we thank you that the grace of Christ runs deeper and covers more. Lord, I, I pray for families today. I, I was addressing these as topics. They're dealing with it as a member of the family. Lord, I, I pray even today that you would lead them through your word, that you'd lead them through your spirit, and that you'd lead them to a community here where we can engage together, wrestle with the truth together, and embrace your grace for each other together. Lord, I pray for single adults in our church that have not felt affirmed in the past or, or haven't felt like we've provided community for them in a way. I, I pray, would you show us how to do that well? And it's not just a program or a ministry, but it really is all of us opening up our homes, our families, our lives, and creating those kind of bonds in Christ. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your grace. You always lead with grace, but you never sacrifice truth. Show us how to do that well. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.